That's my girl. <laughs> and I did not pay her <laughs> for that. Um, sorry, let me put my stuff up here. You know what, this Wi-Fi is messing me up. My name is Tiana Spencer, um, and I'm just so happy to be here with you guys today. I'm so happy to be here with you guys just this weekend. Um, it's been a powerful weekend already. God has moved so powerfully, and I think I'm just um, honored. You guys have seen a privilege of who I get to sit around with the, at a table every week, and um, the best of them is actually off the stage, if you can believe that. I'm sure you've gotten a glimpse of that, and it is so true. But tonight, we get to talk about Jesus. Jesus, he's the one that brought us together, the one that's brought us all here this weekend, and I'm so excited about it. Um, let me pull this up, y'all. Let me get this together. This Wi-Fi is messing me up. Are y'all praying? It don't feel like you're praying. <laughs> all right, listen. Here we go. We're going to be in Luke chapter 7, 36 through 39. I think I have scriptures for y'all. Yes, we do. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. And so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair. She kissed them and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. You ever watch one of those shows where you find yourself rooting for the bad guy? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like those shows, you probably you shouldn't be rooting for the bad guy, but you know you're just rooting for the bad guy. One of my favorite bad guys to root for was a man named Jack Bauer. Anybody know Jack Bauer? Yes, we have some 20, he's from a show called 24. If you've never seen it, it's still streaming somewhere. Go do yourself a favor and get to know Jack Bauer. He is a beast of a man, the character anyway. Okay, so listen, so Jack Bauer, let me tell you, for those of you who are tripping and have not seen this show, Jack Bauer was an agent at what's called the CTU, counter-terrorist unit. Okay, and so they would actively hear about these terrorist threats in the United States and they would have to find ways to neutralize the threat. So as you're watching the show, you know the threat. You know the danger that will occur if this threat isn't neutralized. But a lot of times, those cases are so highly confidential that not even everyone in the show, everyone at CTU, is, is actually privy to all the information. So sometimes, as you're watching the show, Jack has to go rogue, even from his own people. He becomes what we call a rebel. And so because I know what he's up against, of course, I begin rooting for him, right? Even though he's breaking the rules, even though he's doing what some consider to be unacceptable or even illegal, I'm still rooting for him. I'm rooting for the rebel. So much so that I would find myself on the edge of my couch screaming things like a mad, screaming like a mad woman, saying things like, Jack, kill him! <laughs> I know she looks like an old lady, but she got a bomb. Take her out! Like... <laughs> Crazy things that I shouldn't be screaming at the edge of my couch, right? I'm just saying everything. Jack, you can't let her live over and over again. I'm sitting on the edge of my couch, and I am rooting for this man to keep going against the status quo. I'm rooting for him to do, keep doing whatever he has to do, however he has to do it. I find myself rooting for the rebel. Why? Because I know Jack is not just a rebel. Jack Bauer is a good man. 
He's a man who loves his country, who will fight till his dying breath for his country. So I'm rooting for the rebel because I know he wasn't just a rebel. He's a rebel with a cause. He has a cause. And I know, as I'm watching the show, there are millions of lives at stake. He has to complete the, the ultimate mission at hand. And so I root for him because when you understand the reason, you understand the rebel. Jack Bauer reminds me of Jesus in this way. Y'all, Jesus was a rebel. Now, he wasn't killing and blowing people up. <laughs> but if you don't think Jesus was a rebel, you're reading the wrong Bible. He was a rebel in every sense of the word. It is actually what he came to do. He came to rebel against the societal rules and the cultural regulations and the religious establishments of the day. He was a rebel, but he wasn't just a rebel. He was a rebel with a cause. Every time we see Jesus rebelling in scripture, it is always for the cause. And usually, do you know what it's for? His children. He's rebelling for his children. Y'all see that in scripture? He rebelled, and we are the beneficiaries of his rebellion. Tonight, we're going to see the story about a woman who's coming from a life of sin to give her life to Jesus. And, and we're going to see it's breaking a lot of cultural rules. Jesus is going to act so unexpectedly. He's going to rebel against the things he should not be doing. He's going to do, and he's going to do it for her. And I just want to make the point tonight that the things that we see him doing in this text tonight, just like he did it unexpectedly for her, he'll do it for us too. He's rebellious God. Tonight, we're going to talk about he functions rebellious these three ways. He functions in an unexpected acceptance. He functions in an unexpected justice. And he functions in an unexpected grace. Unexpected acceptance, unexpected justice, and an unexpected grace. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you, Lord, that you rebelled for us that you love us that much. God, I pray right now for everybody under the sound of my voice. God, would you give us a fresh eyes to see your word tonight? God, would you give us fresh ears to hear your word tonight? God, for those of us who have been in the church a long time, God, would you give new revelation for your grace? God, you're good. And if you don't speak tonight, we have actually come for nothing. So speak, O oh Lord. Your children are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all ready? Okay, listen, y'all doing good. Just a reminder, I like you talking to me, okay? I grew up in a black church. We don't sit quiet. And you're not going to scare me, okay? I'm going to read this text one more time. I want us to sit in it. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair. She kissed them. And she poured perfume on them. He functions in an unexpected acceptance. Jesus was invited to dinner by a Pharisee. And he, as he was there, there's this sinful woman who heard about it, and she came. Now, we don't know what her sin was, but most commentators say she was likely a prostitute. 
likely a woman who lived in some type of sexual sin. And so just knowing that about her, we can assume that she was very broken. We can assume that she was looking for love in all the wrong places. We can assume that she was a woman of deep pain, probably aching for healing and connection and to be known and seen and loved. I just want us to sit with her for a moment tonight. Because here's what we know about prostitutes. No one wants to be doing it. Right? There's, there's something generally going on. Most likely, this, she was dying for a way out, even if she didn't know it. Dying for, to find some peace and some real joy and purpose, and so she came. Scholars say it's likely she heard him preaching somewhere else in the town, listened to him talk about forgiveness from God, and listened to him say there was grace even for people like her, listened to him say that, that, that he was there for the lost, and knowing that that was her, she likely believed right then for her forgiveness. Can you imagine what that would feel like? To be shunned by everybody, to have your story disregarded and to only be known for the person it's turned you into. And then you hear this rabbi say that if you want, your sins can be forgiven. That if you want, you can repent today and every sin you've ever committed will not only be forgiven, but it will be forgotten. If you want, you can actually know God for yourself. Yes, you, even you. This woman, hearing this on this day, surrenders herself to his love so much so that at a later time, when she hears he's at dinner at a Pharisee's house, she doesn't care what anyone will think of her. She walks into this house, uninvited and unwelcome, to fall at her Lord's feet and say thank you. Only she has no words. All that comes out is tears. Her gratitude is coming out in tears, tears that proves that she understands the weight of what this man did for her. Tears that, that prove that she understood that she should be disqualified for this grace that he speaks of and yet at the same time realizes it was made just for her. Tears that prove that she don't care what anyone else thinks about what she's doing because she knows he is truly worthy of it all. He's worthy of it all. He's worth the disgusted looks that she is getting in this moment as she's on her knees weeping before him. He is worth the shame she is casting on herself by letting her hair down in public to dry his feet. He's worth all the things that may happen to her after this moment. This is a woman who knows he is worthy of it all, and so she gives it to him. And the crazy thing is, church, is that he receives it. He receives it. Listen to that. He receives her. Y'all, this should not be happening because culturally he shouldn't have received anything she had to offer him. He, she should not have been able to even approach him. And yet here she is, fully vulnerable and fully accepted. With all her past, with all of her story, with no questions being asked, her background didn't matter, only her posture did. So that's the crazy thing about our God. He functions in an unexpected acceptance. A God who says, come to me, and I will change your life. I will heal you. I will comfort you. I will transform you from the inside out, no matter what your background or story is. He functions in an unexpected acceptance. But you know what? 
None of that matters if you don't receive it. Can we talk about this for a second? For some of us, we have received the grace and we're fully walking in it. But for others of us, it's a struggle. To receive the acceptance of God is a struggle. Why? Because as great as it is to hear that we are accepted by God, oftentimes the harder thing to do is become accepting of ourselves. And I don't think we realize there's a connection between the two. Yeah, some of us are riddled with shame and low self-worth and contempt and self-hatred. For some of us, we have excruciatingly painful lies that we believe that have been embedded in deep in our minds and our souls and our spirits. And we have to deal with this because it will be harder to receive that we are accepted by God if we are constantly being rejected by ourselves. Do y'all understand the connection? At some point in my life, let me just make this real, I developed a spirit of self-hatred. And I first heard about this when I went to, my husband dragged me to a prayer room. And I mean dragged. And this man, this pastor was praying over me. And he sensed the spirit was saying to him, at some point, you know, you, you begin to hate yourself. And I was like, I don't know what spirit you're listening to. That ain't my God. You know what I'm saying? And my husband's over there taking notes like, he right. Like my husband knew. <laughs> he knew better than to say it. But he was taking them notes. I saw him. So, so, so he's saying that I, I had this spirit of self-hatred and entered my life at some point. And I, I honestly just didn't know what he was talking about. But years later, I mean, fast forward, this is like a, over a decade ago, I uh, moved up to L.A. and I started living in proximity with people who have been in therapy for decades. And as I'm sitting there and I'm talking to them, I'm talking to them, and God just began to open my eyes. And I begin to realize that there are things that I believe about myself that are affecting the truth of what I can and cannot receive from God. This is a conversation that we have to be having. This is Bruno. We don't want to talk about it. <laughs> but we got to talk about it. Because there are things that we believe about ourselves that are actually stopping us from being able to receive the truth that God wants to speak over us. So, 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 so it's like uh, if, if I'm convinced that I'm ugly and you come and tell me that I'm pretty, do I just receive the words that you're saying to me? No. I think you a lie. <laughs> right? If, if I'm convinced that I'm not smart and you come and tell me I'm intelligent, I cannot, we know this. We don't just receive those words. Right? We can't receive those words very easily about ourselves. We cannot receive the truth people are saying to us because we have spent most of our life partnering with lies. And if we do that with people, you better believe we do that with God, too. That God is saying things. You are accepted. You're loved. You're worthy. You're good. I love you. And we can't receive those things because we, we don't, we're, all, we're so busy partnering with lies, partnering with trauma, partnering with things that, that really that God is saying, I want to free you from. Does that make sense? We have to begin. What does it look like for us to begin to unpartner with these lies? That's the question, right? Because we all know this is the truth. How do we begin to unpartner with these lies? Can I just nerd out on you for one second? Okay. Because this is something that has helped me. I mean really nerd on you. I'm talking about neuroplasticity for just one second. <laughs> but I think it's applicable because of what, even what, what Abby and uh, Brooke were talking about this morning. So, so Dr. Um, Kurt Thompson talked about him earlier. He has a book called Anatomy of the Soul. And it's specifically about, anybody read it? Yeah. It's specifically about the connection between neuroplasticity, neuroscience, and spiritual disciplines. 
Okay, so he talks about in the book, uh, Donald Hebb, um, who, who out of his research on learning and memory, he grew a concept known as Hebb's axiom. I'm going to make this make sense, but just stay with me, okay? It's this idea that in your brain, we have neurons. Neurons that fire together, wire together. In other words, neurons that repeatedly activate in a particular pattern are statistically more likely to fire in that same pattern the more they're activated. Once initial neurons in a network fire, um, there is a very high probability that the related neurons will also activate and move along that same pathway. So, think of it like this. If you had to make your way through a dense jungle forest that no one had ever traveled before you, you might make your first path with a machete, right? And it's possible that someone who came along later would be, able to trace, would be unable to trace your steps given the thickness of all the, the trees and all that stuff. However, if a series of people followed directly behind you, they would increasingly wear down that path, making it easier to recognize your trail. The more frequently people come down that route, the more likely future travelers would also come down that route, right? Instead of establishing a new path and creating a new course. So once travelers begin this course, they would unlikely decide to uh, wander off. The probability is very high that they would follow through your trail to the end. This image helps to illustrate what neuroscientists mean by memory. When we remember something, here's what we're doing. We're firing neurons that have been fired before to, to greater or lesser degree of frequency. The more frequently those patterns have been fired, the more easily they will fire in the same pattern in the future. That's why you can immediately recall ingredients to, uh, to preparing spaghetti because you make it every week. The, 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 the pathway is made in your brain, but you need to consult a cookbook for something you make once a year, right? What is he saying? He's saying the more you think something, the quicker your body's gonna just keep going down that same road. Eventually it's gonna become automatic. The more you think something. But here's the good news, is that it's neuroplasticity. We can actually go a different way. This is what most of us, we're believing these lies that we've been thinking for years, for decades. And we're going down that same route over and over again. Over, we're partnering over and over again, and it becomes automatic. But the good news about the gospel is that Jesus says there is a better way. He actually wired our minds to where if we do what he says, take the thought captive and begin to think a new thought begin to rewire our brain. This is how just practically we can begin to unpartner with some of these lies that we believe in, right? But it takes work. But when Jesus says, Paul says, think on these things, he means it. You see, science is just catching up to the word of God. If you think on these, well, but Jesus, no, this is why your body has been created. This is how your mind has been created. That as you think on these things, it will begin to actually activate in your life. Does that make sense what I'm saying? And so we can begin to unpartner with life. But here's the deal. It takes work. It takes work. But we have heavily underestimated the power of our thoughts, in, especially in the church. Let me tell you about my daughter. Uh, I don't know. I don't even know the time. But let me tell you about my daughter. I think I got time for this. So Karis is uh, um, eight years old. She came to me. She was, started having these um, afraid to die in the night. She was afraid to go to sleep. She didn't think she'd wake up in the morning. And it was terrifying her. And it was happening for a while before she let me know. And then one night she came to me, and she's in tears, and she's crying. And I just said to her, um, all right. First, I, you know, I went the route of, babe, you're going to wake up in the morning. She's too smart. She says, you don't know that. <laughs> it's OK. I need to go another path. So then I'm going to tell her, I said, babe, let's just talk about heaven, right? I, I don't know. But let's just talk about heaven. 
She said, Mom, you think there'll be Sour Patch Kids in heaven? I said, I don't know. But the feeling you get when you eat them, you'll feel that times a million in heaven. You know, you'll, you'll, I said, you, you think I can watch my favorite shows in heaven? I said, Karis, I don't know. But the feeling you get, the joy, you will feel that times a million in the presence of Jesus. Right? So I'm talking to her about heaven for a while. And then she's like, okay. But she's still terrified. I said, here's what I do. I did what I, what I do for myself. Uh, as I'm learning about, you know, I'm, I'm deep in, like, trauma work and all that stuff. Um, there's a book I was reading that talked about practicing joy. You had five moments, memories, where you felt a deep sense of God's presence and deep joy. And you write them down. And you begin to meditate on those moments, right? So I tell Kara, I say, here's the deal, Kara. I want you to get five memories. Let's talk about them. So she starts to tell me five memories where she just felt joy. And she's lighting up as she's telling me these memories, right? And so I say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take one of those memories, and I just want you to go there. We, we did it together. I want you to go there, and I want you to just feel what you felt, what was going on. Let your body feel it. Then I want you to invite Jesus into that space. And I want you just to talk to him. Just have a conversation with him. Because I say, here's the deal, Karis. You're in bed. And you're safe. But you're imagining not being. And it's causing havoc in your body. It's causing anxiety in your body, like Abby was talking about earlier. I said, so if your imagination is that powerful, what would happen if you imagined something different? What would happen if you imagined joy? What would happen if you imagined being in the presence of Jesus? And so she was like, okay, mommy. So she went, she went to bed and she, she talked to me a couple days later. She said, mommy, I tried what you told me. She said, and I just went and I was being with Jesus. She was swimming. They was having the time of their life. <laughs> and she said, afterward, I opened my eyes and I just had this huge smile on my face and I just went to sleep. And I said, thank you, Jesus. That she can learn early, that she can go and be with Jesus. Now, don't get it twisted. A couple days later, she tried it again. She said, mom, that didn't work. What else you got? care that's all I got that's all I got I got Jesus for you because I, I can't do I got you you can go and be with Jesus I need you to know you can access it at every time that what you think about matters I need you to begin to practice this early that you can go and be with Jesus church if we got this and we begin to actually live this out I wonder the joy that we would actually experience if we did what his word said think on these things but many of us we, 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 we throw the scripture out they don't work but how many of us are actually doing it how many of us are actually meditating on the things of God? This is so important so that when we begin to actually take things out, so when that, that lie comes in that says, I'm not loved, we say, no, 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 no. We take that thought captive in the name of Jesus. I create a new neural pathway that says, no, uh, for God so loved me that he gave the whole world, that he gave this begotten son so that he could come and love me. When that lie comes up that says, I am forgotten, we say, no, 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 no. We take that thought captive in the name of Jesus. We say, he, he knows all the plans for my life. He's got me. He's going to take care of me. We create the new neural pathway. When the lie comes in and says, I am incapable, we say no. We take that thought captive in the name of Jesus. And we create a new pathway that says, I'm a masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus. To do everything that he's called me to do. We can do this through the power of the Holy Spirit. You are wired to be able to actually live in the truth of God. But if you are so busy partnering with lies, we will never be able to fully receive all that God has for us. He says you're accepted. He says you can come, that you're lovable. We got to be in not partner with the lie so we can actually live into that truth. Amen? Amen. Can we keep going? Second thing he functions in. Unexpected acceptance. The second thing he functions in is unexpected justice. He says in verse 39, 
When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Look at what the Pharisee says to himself. If this man were a prophet, he would know. We don't do this. She is a sinner. What is he saying? Why is he saying this? Because he knows that a prophet would not, according to the law, they would not be allowed to let this woman touch him. They would have to be declared unclean if they did. In other words, he's saying he cannot be a man of God or he would know we don't touch sinners. We don't touch sinners like her. This tells us two things about Simon. That not only was he unaware of who Jesus was, but he was unaware of who he was. He said she is a sinner. And I want you to look how Jesus replies. Look at verse 40. Jesus answered him and said, Simon, I got something to tell you, brother. (laughs) Simon don't have no clue he's about to go to school. He says, tell me, teacher. (laughs) Jesus said two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Simon says, she's a sinner. Jesus immediately says, Simon, let me tell you a story about two people that owed a man. Do do y'all see what he did there? He flipped it. Simon says, she's a sinner. Jesus said, let me tell you a story about two people who owed a man. You see, the problem is that Simon made the mistake of thinking that only one of them did. And the spirit is alive and well today. Y'all, it is so easy to call out someone else's sin and not be accountable for our own. There's another Bruno, we going there. (laughs) It is so easy to think we are better than him or further along than her. We all have a Pharisee in us. We are all prone to think that someone else's debt is greater. And just like Simon, most of us will never say it out loud, but in the inner recesses of our heart. Did you catch that Simon never said this out his mouth? God called out the sin in his heart. Now, can you imagine, go back to this woman, what it did for this woman to hear this. As she is crying at his feet, she hears Jesus tell her accusers, you both have debts. This woman who has been made to feel like she is the worst of them all, made to feel like there is no hope for her, and now she hears Jesus himself saying that she's not alone. That this man who was accusing her was in, no fa- was, in, was in effect no better than her. They both did not have enough. They both came up short. You see, what he's doing is he's creating this level playing field that brought the Pharisee's spirit of pride down and the woman's spirit of hopelessness up. He, he dignified her in the presence of those who humiliated her. Why? Because in the love of God, there is no hierarchy. He is unexpectedly just. No one is better than another. Why? Because Jesus is saying the amount of debt debt doesn't matter because you all have the same problem of not being able to pay it. We all have the same problem. And here's the deal, y'all. If we're honest, we don't like that. We don't want to be on the same levels as certain people. Y'all quiet. (laughs) We don't want to be on the same levels as certain people. Because if I have to see you on my level, then what do I have left to make me feel better about myself? You see, the pride in which we judge one another 
is oftentimes an attempt to soothe the insecurities we have in ourselves. I'm going to say it one more time. The pride in which we judge one another is oftentimes an attempt to soothe the insecurities that we have in ourselves. I um, was really hurt by a friend some years back. Really hurt. And um, bitter. One day I was praying. I'm praying about it. And I'm praying like, God, show them their heart. Show, 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 show them like their heart. Show them that they did it wrong. Show them that they, God, show them. I'm praying, God, help them to repent for them. I'm praying the kind of prayers like, God, smite them and their children. <laughs> like, I'm, it's in the text. It's biblical. <laughs> Don't act like y'all, y'all fake. Whatever. So I'm praying. I'm angry. I'm upset. I'm hurt. And I'm praying. This, and one day, I'm praying. As I'm praying, God brought to mind three friends. Friends I hadn't thought about in a long time. Wasn't really friends with them anymore. And he showed me, Tiana, the same thing this person did to you, you did it to them. My first response was, God, get out of my business. <laughs> we wouldn't talk about me. You know what I'm saying? Like, keep, can we talk about this? Keep it here. After a while, though, I said, okay, Lord. And I got so convicted. I got so convicted. And I went, and I didn't even have numbers I have Facebook message. I had one number for one friend. I sent those three ladies a lengthy apology. Something happened years back. And I said, here, I don't know what was going on with me at the time, but I need you to know this wasn't your fault. I need you to know that this was a thing, me, and I am sorry for how I hurt you. There was something about that moment. I realized what I was doing is that I was heightening their sin so I could feel better about myself. Right? And a lot of us do that. I was making them out to be bad so that I'm not as bad. And the Lord was like, no, nah, you was bad. <laughs> you, you was bad, okay? So this, this is how the Lord talks to me. So I, I, then, but then it was just this grace and this humility. God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry because I realized in that moment we're all a hot mess. That I'm a mess. And it opened up a grace in my heart because I realized I needed just as much grace as my enemy did. And I had to let it go. And I had to get healing to deal with the reasons why I was holding on to it in the first place. This is what Jesus was trying to say to Simon. Simon, you don't get to call out her debt to make you feel better about yourself. This is not how, how it works with God. Y'all, we can get so focused on debt, but isn't it amazing to know that we serve a God who does not judge us for how much debt we have, but for how we respond to him when it's paid. He says, now which one of them will love me more? That's all he wants. I'm forgiving this. Which one of them will love me more? We serve a God who just wants to be loved. It's what the whole Bible is about. From Genesis to Rev, which one of them will love me more? This is his heart for us. This is his heart for us. That we can receive the grace and we respond with God, I love. He's an unexpectedly just God. Amen? Amen. Last point, and I'm going home. Well, tomorrow I'm going home. I'm just getting off the stage. <laughs> I'm so used to preaching on a Sunday. All right, so listen. Uh, let's, let's, go, let's go. Unexpected. The third thing he functions in is unexpected grace. It says in verse 44, Then he turned, <clears throat> turned toward the woman and said to the, Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, Simon. You did not give me any water for my feet, 
but she wet my feet with her tears, and she wiped them with her hair. Jesus said, you did not even give me a kiss. <coughs> Excuse me. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests begin to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Yes. Listen to Jesus' question. Do you see this woman? Simon, do you see her? Not her past, not her shame, but, but do you see her? Do you see her heart? He said, you didn't give me water for my feet. Which is the bare minimum you do for a guest in your house in that culture? He said, but she hasn't stopped wetting my feet with her hair. He said, you didn't give me a kiss, which again was the bare minimum you do for a guest in your house. He said, but from the time I entered, she has not stopped kissing my feet. The same with the oil. It is custom to anoint your guest with oil, and you haven't, Simon, he says to Simon. Yet she has poured her most expensive perfume on me. In other words, Jesus is saying, Simon, you pay attention to the wrong thing, brother. You're so busy looking at her, but have you even looked at yourself? Look at the way she's loving me. Look at the difference between you and her. You see, he was so obsessed with condemning the activity of her flesh, he was completely blinded to the fact that he was witnessing the redemption of her heart. He was seeing a miracle. And Jesus is saying that her response to my presence is directly related to her understanding of my providence. Her response to my, her, my presence is directly relating to her understanding of my providence. In other words, she knows what I've done for her. She knows what I've done for her. You see, the difference between Simon and this woman was not their sin, but their awareness of it and their repentance for it. You see, because here's what we need to realize, church. Your appreciation for grace will only go as far as your awareness of your need for it. I'm going to say that one more time. Your appreciation for grace will only go as far as your awareness of your need for it. Meaning, if I am unaware that I need it, I will not appreciate it when I see it. This was Simon. He was witnessing grace, but he could not appreciate it because he didn't think he had a need for it. This woman, she was aware of the distance between her and God. She was aware of how far away her brokenness had carried her. And because she was aware of herself, when the grace of God came her way, she overwhelmingly responded to it, and she was honored because of it. He says, little forgiveness, little love. But because I have forgiven her much, look at how much she's loving me. I honor her. I honor that. And here's where some of us get confused. Was we don't understand that the grace of God works like that. In our minds, if we're honest, the less you sin, the less sin you are forgiven from, the better. Am I right? In our minds, the less sin you're forgiven from, the better. In our, in our minds, that's just common sense. But y'all, that's only better if we're boasting in ourselves. I, I haven't done that much. Yay, me. <laughs> but if we are boasting in the grace of God, then the more you are forgiven from, the more radical you realize it is. You see, in Jesus' kingdom, he doesn't simply take into account what you've done but he takes into account how far you've come. That matters to him. 
This is why the story of the prodigal son is so important. Because it was how far the son had went away that God said, you're still welcome. Put a ring on him. Put a coat on him. This is why Paul says, I am the chief of all sinners. Because it's a boast in the glory of God and how big it is and how radical it is. I am the chief of all sinners. Now, here's the deal. We cannot think of this as a license to sin. Right? Then now I can just go out and do whatever I want because then I'm going to boast in the glory of God to forgive me. This is not a license to sin, but you know what this is? This is a license to confess. We don't have to lie. We don't have to be ashamed. We don't have to be afraid. In God's kingdom, there is an unexpected grace for even the chief of all sinners. The chief of all sinners. Y'all, this is supposed to set us free. As free as that woman weeping at the feet of Jesus in a room full of people despising her. And this is important because there is somebody in here who thinks they have gone so far that the grace of God could not cover it. And I'm here to tell you tonight that the grace of God was designed for it. The worst thing you've ever done is cover it. The thing you're afraid to tell anybody about is covered. The grace of God, it is unexpected. And it doesn't make any sense. And yet it's ours. It's ours. He is unexpectedly gracious. The key is understanding the grace you've been given and then responding accordingly. He's worthy of it all. He's worthy of it all. You guys, we serve a God who does not do things the way of the culture. He's rebellious. He is full of the unexpected. He is full of an unexpected acceptance. He is full of unexpected justice. And he is full of an unexpected grace. And my prayer is that we would begin to take hold of that. Is that when we do, may it leave us at the feet of Jesus, just like this woman. Declaring one thing, you worthy of it all. You worthy of it all. Thank you, God. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. Come on, you say this. You deserve the glory. Come on, if you know, if he's done anything for you, say it. So you're worthy of it all. Come on, declare it in the room. You're worthy of it all. For from you are all things. For from you are all. And to you are. Say you deserve the glory. Come on, one more time. Say, you are worthy of, you are worthy of it all. God, we hold nothing back from you. You are worthy of it all. Sing for from, for from you are all, and to you all things. 
You deserve the glory, God. Come on, will you stand to your feet and just declare that if you truly believe it tonight, say you're worthy, you're worthy of it all. God, we give it all to you, God. You're worthy of it all. For from and to you all things. You deserve the glory. Day and night, night and day, let sin arise. Day and night, night and day, let sin arise. Come on, say day and night. Day and night, night and day, let sin arise. Day and night, night and day, let sin arise. Come on, sing it again. Say, day and night, night and day, let incense arise. We'll give you your worship, Jesus. Night and day, let incense arise. Say, day and night, day and night, night and day, let incense arise. Day and night, night and day. You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. Draw from you. Last time, just sing it to him. No music. You're worthy of it all. God, we hold nothing back. You're worthy of it all. For from, for from you are, and to you are, you deserve. So God, we're saying tonight, God, some of us have been holding back. God, tonight we know you are worthy of it all. Everything this woman gave you, you were worthy of it. Everything we're holding back from you, you're worthy of it. So God, would you give us the courage this woman to lay it all at your feet to receive everything you have for us and we'll do it for your glory You can grab a seat. We're going to go into worship in a minute. But before we do, I want to tell you this. I've come to realize that we don't move on past the gospel of Jesus Christ. We just go deeper into it. In fact, the same way that we grow is the same way that we're saved. <laughs> Did you know that? 
I've heard the phrase sanctification recapitulates salvation, which means this, being formed into the likeness of Jesus just rehearses salvation over and over again. That's what it is. That's how we grow. And I'm listening to Tiana, listening to Tiana even sing those lyrics, you're worthy of it all. What's all? It's everything. I'll never forget one time we shared the gospel, which I'm going to do soon, just very explicitly, that you would know exactly what we mean when we say the gospel. But I remember sharing the gospel once and making an invitation for people to raise their hand or to stand if they've never said yes for the very first time. You've just been holding back your entire life, trying to be good enough for God, but for everybody. And that moment you believe that Jesus is enough for you, And I remember there's two gals that day that raised their hand. And I remember having a conversation with one of them right here. I'll never forget it. Because I was sitting there with this gal. We're talking about with Jesus, which again, I'll share in a minute. And we're talking about it. And at the time, it was uh, the speaker was a lady by the name of of, uh, Lisa Chan, married to Francis Chan. And um, she was here. And... And I'm talking with this lady. And Lisa, who had just spoken and shared, was walking past. I said, Lisa, come over here. And she came over. And I was like, this woman is ready to give it all to Jesus. And I was really excited, like, this is the moment. This woman wants to give her whole life, everything, like the woman with the alabaster jar, her everything. She wants to give her all, because he's worthy of it, and she's understanding that, and I'm so excited. And then Lisa looks at her, and she goes, are you ready to die? And I'm like, what? (laughs) Not what I was waiting for, Lisa. What I was hoping for was, yay! But the lady knew exactly what she was saying. And it didn't scare her. She said, if, if, if you're, what you're asking is if I'm ready to no longer live for myself anymore, yes. Because that hasn't worked. And I'm sitting there like, this is way better. <laughs> but it's true. So let me tell you the gospel that that woman responded to and her entire life was changed. And I believe generation upon generation has changed through that woman. The reason I know that is because generation after generation of people from that first heard the good news of the gospel when women brought it, which was so cool. Uh, they were the first ones that got to share the good news. I think that's just really cool. And here's what it was, that Jesus is alive. But you also have to know the context with which they're saying that truth. They're saying that truth because Jesus came to earth, like I said yesterday, this morning. That because God knew we couldn't get to him, he came to us. Jesus, fully God, fully man. And he lived a perfect life sinless, without sin, thus earning a perfect, he's the only one that was sinless, thus earning a perfect relationship with God. The Bible says that the wages of any sin, sin is a, it's actually an archery term that says missing the mark, even in any word, thought, deed, or attitude, one of them, the wages of that one, whether you consider yours 50 or 500, The wages of that sin is death. Like I said this morning, separation from God. That's what we deserved. And maybe you've heard before that Jesus went to the cross. Why did he go to the cross? He did not deserve that. We did. But death penalty had to be paid. And so Jesus willingly gave it all for us first. So anytime we get on the stage and we talk about he's worthy of it all, we give him. It's not because we're doing that first. It's because we're doing that in response to someone who already has done it for us. 
See, he went to the cross to take that which we deserved and the penalty for sin once and for all, for every sin of your past, for every sin you have today and even in this moment, and any sin in the future was all nailed to a cross. The penalty was paid in full. The wages of your sin, the Bible says very explicitly, the wages of your sin is death. Therefore, death has to pay that penalty, and Jesus took it all. Which means this, if Jesus took it all, if our sin is imputed, is the technical term, if our sin is imputed onto the cross of Christ, then that means for all who believe that he did that for you, you are fully forgiven for all of it. And let me say it again, all, all of it, the self-hatred, all was imputed there onto the cross of Christ. And he died. I don't say that lightly. He died on our behalf. And he didn't stay dead. But he did die day one. Nothing. <laughs> day two, nothing. And when all hope felt lost, for I'm sure those first followers and also for some of us, there's really good news. Not just that he took that which we deserved, but by grace through faith, we have the chance to receive that which he deserved. Why? Because he rose from the dead. The ultimate miracle proving that he is more powerful than sin, death, and its consequences. All of it. And what it means to follow Jesus... <laughs> What it means to give your life over to Jesus is to say, I believe that I can't get to him, but I trust that he came to me, took that which I deserve. And then watch this, by grace, which means unmerited favor, undeserved favor from the grace of God. Tiana talked about it. The grace of God. That woman did not deserve his love in that moment, and neither do we. All of us. By grace, unmerited favor through faith. What is faith? Putting our faith and trust, we've talked about this last night, in Jesus and not ourselves, that he took that which we deserve. And when you trust that by grace, through faith, everything he earned is imputed back to us. This idea of double imputation blows my mind. Our sin is imputed onto the cross of Christ, which means we can be fully forgiven for all of it, but it doesn't stop there. The good news is that everything he earned on our behalf gets imputed back. See, we earned, to, we earned death, separation from God. He earned life. He took death on our behalf and then gifts us life. And not just life once, not just life for all of eternity, but life here and now, life for a purpose, to live a life of purpose with he and me, us and him. I'm not quite sure how all that works, but what I do know is that one day when I stand before the Father, it's going to be enough because I'm not standing there alone. That's what I know. And some of you don't know that. You don't know what would happen when you die. You just don't know. And we're not promised tomorrow. And that's why he came. And when he rose from the grave, he grab, grabbed a couple ladies and said, tell everyone about it. And they did. And then a lot more people did. And then a lot more people did. And then a lot more generation upon generation upon generation. And then one day some depressed gal went to church camp. She had black hair, black fingernails that matched how she felt inside. She heard the gospel. <laughs> Her name was Jenny. 
And then she showed up at children's ministry the next week and said, I'm here to serve. And they put her in the back to do snacks. But when they gave that same gospel message, when they gave that same gospel message, she was in the back praying like, oh, I hope people give their life to Jesus because it, I, I, I know what it's like to try to live for you and it doesn't feel like enough because it's not enough on your own. And all these little hands went up in children's ministry that day and <laughs> there's so many hands. They're trying to partner with volunteers and they didn't have enough. So they pointed at Jenny and she's like, I'm good in the back. But thank God she still moved even though she wasn't ready, which by the way is everyone in ministry. <laughs> and so they called her up and she sat with this little girl who gave her life to Jesus that day and I was the little girl. And so I, hold on, I'm standing here today just continuing that story. And isn't it wild that then he entrusts it with you and then you go do the same. But I have to say, some of you have never said yes for the very first time and you've just been, maybe you've been here all weekend and you're like, I don't get this. This is all crazy and you're using a lot of language I don't understand. But here's one thing that you might un begin to understand and it's by grace, unmerited favor, that he'd even give you the ability to want to understand and maybe that's what he's doing in you. He's going, I, I think I want to understand that. I want to know that more and I want to draw close. I don't know where you're at in your faith journey, but if you know you want to take the next step in Jesus' direction because you trust that he took every step in yours, he took every step that was required for in order for you to be in relationship with the holy and perfect God, I simply just want to create a space for you to respond to that. And then we're going to create space for all of us to respond to that because that's basically what it means to follow Christ is to continue to come back to that moment. And what it means to confess is this. Watch this. I agree with you, God. I am not as I should be. And that's why you came to make me who I could become through you. But I'm going to ask you to do something um, just for the sake of a few people in this room. Would you close your eyes? Sometimes I have people stand just boldly in front of a bunch of people, and maybe I'm just sensing that that's not what it is tonight. If you are in this room and you have never given your life over to Jesus, I just if, you're, if that is you and you have, would you just begin to pray in this moment? If there's, if there's someone, a single person in this room, that you're going, I have a lot of questions, but I want to know more about Jesus. If that's you, can I'd love just a moment to mark it, a moment to mark this first step that's actually a significant step. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I'd love to see you and be able to pray for you. Yes, thank you, I see it, I see it. Yeah, yeah, I see it. Balcony, I see you too. I see you in the back there. Beautiful. So, Father, I thank you for these hands. You saw them even if I didn't. Just a bunch of hands that go, I, I believe, kind of, help me in my own belief, and help me, help me get there. So, God, we just simply come to you and say, help. Help, and I thank you for the courage to raise a hand to God. I want to walk in that room, and I want to be unashamed because I know that I need Jesus. So, Lord, I thank you for the hands. <laughs> And I pray, Lord, that they wouldn't go to bed tonight without talking with someone, whether it be a host here with a red name badge or someone they came up here with. Lord, I thank you for those hands. You know them. You know their entire story. And you knew the journey to getting him them here this weekend and getting them to this moment to lift a hand. One step. I thank you, Lord Jesus. That is so much more significant than they even realize. <laughs> we thank you. And all God's ladies said in unison, yes, amen.